The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Noah Fleming, and you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal in this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing to help grow your business. Don't worry about taking notes. I'm going to do that for you, and you can find them at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today I'm joined by Noah Fleming, and we're going to talk about his new book, which is the Amazon number one best-selling book in sales, marketing, and customer service, the title of which is Evergreen, Cultivate the Enduring Customer Loyalty That Keeps Your Business Thriving. Noah is a marketing expert, keynoter, and consultant, and thought leader in strategic marketing, and particularly customer loyalty. He has coached and consulted to thousands of business owners, executives, and individuals to help them maximize customer value which, not surprisingly, has then led to increased sales and profits. Noah also writes for Fast Company magazine, among others, and has been routinely quoted in publications like Forbes and the New York Times. Noah, congratulations on Evergreen, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks so much, Doug. That's a wonderful intro. (laughs) Well, great. Well, share with us what the story is that led to this book. Sure. I'm going to try and... uh give them really quick because I know we don't have too much time, but there's really two uh, stories, both of which I talk about in the book, but I think they're both really relevant here. So the first story well, was... Noah, take your time. We don't have to go to a commercial break. All right. <laughs> that's that's one, wonderful. One, one more great thing about podcasts. <laughs> the, the, uh, the first story was my wife and I were on our honeymoon. And I tell this story. I started with the book telling this story. And we were at a place called Cathedral Grove in British Columbia. And Cathedral Grove has these trees that are as wide as buses. And so you literally stand there and everybody takes these pictures of trying to put their arms around these trees. And they're these giant evergreen trees. Some are 150 feet high, 30 feet wide. And so we were walking on this path and I was on my honeymoon. I shouldn't have been thinking about anything about being on my honeymoon, but I was thinking about business and I was thinking about my clients and people I had been working with. Uh, at that time, I was working with a number of small businesses, another number of uh, entrepreneurs, and I was really helping them focus on retention. And there was this real big uh, metaphor staring me right in the face, which is this concept of the evergreen. And the evergreen is a tree that stays green all year long. And so you know, in the winter, they're still green. The leaves are on the tree, whereas other trees like deciduous trees, they drop their leaves every year. And so every every winter, it's cold and it's a harsh time and they have to just do whatever they can to survive. And to me, there was a really big kind of stark, interesting comparison there between the evergreen and a business. A great business is evergreen. A great business thrives all year long. They don't really seem to have those downtimes, they seem to just consistently do well. You know, the economy's not doing well, but they're busy. They don't really do a lot of traditional advertising, but they're still busy. And so that was the concept of the evergreen. Now, the second story 
was when I was delivering a keynote uh, in Washington, D.C., and I went a few days early to the conference. It was one of the first times I, would, I was ever hired to do uh, a full-blown keynote. And I went to the conference early because I was interested. I wanted to learn what they were doing. And every session was focused on really what was I consider kind of minutia of marketing. They were focused on things like, you know, should my headline be red or blue? Uh, should we send an email at 1026 or at 1045? And all these really kind of silly questions, which some of them were interesting, some of them were unique, and a lot of them had done really great split testing. They had results. But to me, it was, you know, focusing on these things instead of asking themselves, do we have anything interesting to say in the first place? Are we resonating with our ideal customers or our current customers? Does this uh, help perpetuate the growth of our business? Instead, we're so focused on bringing in new customers, doing whatever marketing we can, tweaking everything, just trying to drive new people through the doors instead of focusing on who we've got. And so that, that in a nutshell, is how the book came to be. In the beginning of the book, there's a quote where you said, how is it that some companies seem able to effortlessly create customer loyalty thereby increasing their profits, while others seem to be constantly dropping existing customers and simultaneously struggling to find new ones. You describe what you do with, with your clients in that you try to help them answer two questions. Can you talk about those two questions? Well, I try and help them decide how do we most effectively get a new customer so how do we attract the right customers? How do we appeal to our ideal customers, the ones that are likely to stick with us? And then once we've got them, how do we ensure that we've got everything in place to keep them for life? I believe that some of those terms like customers for life, uh, the wow experience, a lot of these terms I think get thrown around because people don't really think about what that really means and how do we actually build the systems, and focus our strategies and our tactics on not just getting them, but keeping them. So in the book, I talk about this concept, which I call the marketing equilibrium. And it's a very simple concept, but an equilibrium is the balance of two opposing forces. And so in the book, I say, look, you've got getting customers, customer acquisition, and then you've got keeping customers, which is customer retention, or we can call it customer loyalty if we want. Now, marketing is typically viewed in most companies, in most businesses, as everything we do to get a customer. That's it. Marketing is how do we attract a new customer? How do we get them into our door? But in reality, marketing is equally about getting as it is about keeping. And so the equilibrium is really starting to understand that marketing is really a function of building customer loyalty. Marketing is a function of building that evergreen relationship. And so you want to make sure that you've got the right systems in place, you've got the right procedures there, and you're truly focused on building that relationship and really building a customer for life, building true customer loyalty. Again, people that come and spend their money with you on an ongoing basis, people that refer you to others, people that tell the world about you, they aren't swayed by discounts or cheaper prices at their competitors. They stick with you because they're just attached to what you do and they're truly they're truly loyal. If I could give a, a visual to the listener to go with that, there's a Venn diagram that shows those two overlapping um, areas of uh, getting new customers, 
as well as keeping the ones you have. And where they intersect, like on a MasterCard logo, that's where the marketing should be focused. That's right. I mean, that's again, it's such a simple, basic concept. But when you start to think about marketing as everything that happens before and everything that happens after, suddenly your business starts to change because suddenly you start to think about, okay, well, wait a minute. How do we increase the number of times that these people do business with us? Or are they doing business with us on a regular basis? Do we even know? Uh, have they left us? And so marketing becomes everything you do after to keep them, to keep them coming back, to keep them uh, shopping with you, to keep them loyal to you, to keep them interested in what it is you're doing. And and by the way, you're welcome, more than welcome. I'm happy to send you that uh, Venn diagram to post with this if you'd like. Oh, great. We'll include that in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Noah, in this episode, we're going to introduce a segment that I, I won't be able to have on every show, but it's where we talk about sex. <laughs> and, Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I hopefully the listener is uh, now just turned up their uh <laughs> turned up their uh, their earphones. Your book explains that all businesses are addicted to sex. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, so that goes back to that story where I was delivering that first keynote. I'd spent these 3 days there and I had whole kind of prepared uh session to end their their conference with and i walked out on stage and i just looked at them all and i said you know we're all addicted to sex and these there was this clanging of forks and people spitting water out and laptops closing and just like you said you know people were all of a sudden perking up and listening what what is this guy talking about but there's a common kind of phrase in the business world that marketing is sexy um, ac sorry, acquisition is sexy, but retention, keeping customers, is boring. And that's and that's where I kind of thought about this. Well, we're kind of addicted to that great feeling that marketing delivers because we get instant results, we get instant feedback, we get instant gratification if it it's working. Good. It feels good, right? There's so many great things about marketing. It is sexy. And the other stuff, you know, well, it is kind of boring. We don't really know. You know, people say, well, is it really going to increase my profits? Is it going to increase my revenues? I don't know. But I do know if I spend $50 on, you know, this and I get $100 back, that's working. That feels good. And so I want to show them that there's a whole, you know, there's a whole other world out there of customers that don't just, you know, don't just need the sex. They want, they want the love, as cheesy as that sounds. They don't want the one night stand. They want to continue to do business with you. You know, I don't want to spend hours uh, shopping for something. I want to be loyal to certain businesses. I don't want to spend hours choosing a restaurant to go to. Well, I like to try other things. I like to explore and try new places, but I want to have a relationship with some sort of restaurant where I know I can go and I can be treated well. And I know I'm always going to have a great experience. How are new customers actually a mixed blessing well new customers are a mixed blessing because some of them aren't going to stick so some of them are you know going to leave you but also when you drive them in and you don't have the right things in place to keep them then you're just really kind of spinning your wheels you're going to lose them so in the book i tell this great story of a business we start out by looking at a business that said we can, we can bring in 8,500 new customers literally overnight. And a lot of companies look at that and go, oh my goodness, imagine what that would mean 
for my company. Imagine if all of a sudden I had 8,500 new customers. But in reality, the 8,500 new customers that this particular business owner got almost crushed her, almost cost her her business. She said it was the worst business decision she had ever made to drive that many new customers through the doors. And so she needed to focus on her existing base. She needed to take care of them because they were disappointed. All of a sudden it was like, well, now you care more about them than you do about us. And I give a number of examples of different companies, different types of businesses, different industries where the same thing is happening again and like again. Like your own bank. Yeah, that's exactly it, my own bank. I mean, I tell this story often, but my own bank, the manager actually said to me that we couldn't take care of you because we were too busy with new customers. We're just flooded with new customers. These were his exact words. And, you know, and I, and I couldn't believe this. But At least they were being the, honest. He was being honest. And then when I started to think about it, you know, this is really what's going on, right? They're focused on getting new uh, the the big bank is doing some great marketing initiatives. People are coming in. Everything's working as it should, but they don't have the resources and they don't have the energy and they don't have the time or the interest on taking care of the people they've got. And so what happens is they end up leaving. They end up packing their bags and going elsewhere. And what's happened is they've gotten rid of a great resource, which was me, who had spent a lot of money there, spent a lot of time there, had a lot invested there, and they've gambled all that away for this new customer who might only be there you know, for six months, who might not really be as valuable as I was to them, but they've blown that because they're too busy taking care of the new. The leaky bucket is used a few times in the in the book to describe just that situation where they're pouring all the resources into getting more into the bucket and it's going out almost as fast, churning through all these customers. Yeah, I mean that's that again, right? It, it's 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 a very kind of um, it's a spin on the idea of the evergreen metaphor. But instead of focusing on fixing the holes in the bucket, most companies just think, well, we'll just add more water. And this is particularly true in small to medium-sized companies um, where you know they don't know how to fix the holes or they're not even really aware that they're losing customers because of this. And so they're just consistently trying to drive more new people through the door. And what they find is things don't really work, right? So they've got to spend money on advertising, but advertising doesn't really work for them. Or they're trying to get on Twitter, or they're trying to get on Facebook, or trying to just do whatever the next big thing is. So they're kind of following the herd as opposed to really taking a much more strategic look at how do we really improve things here? How do we fix all those holes and ensure that every single person we put in is going to stay in? And then how do we do whatever we can to keep them there? That brings to mind what was probably my favorite quote in the book in that it actually made me laugh out loud. <laughs> I, don't know if you were, I don't know if you were trying to make the reader laugh, but there are a lot of funny things in the book. But there's one line where you say, for years, Fortune 500 companies have gotten wrapped up in branding, and now they're equal, getting equally wrapped up in how to do effective social media. If you are anything smaller than a Fortune 500 company, then you should be wrapped up in results. That's it. That's, a, that's, that's what matters, right? And, and 
And, you know, we're, we're so caught up in this world of, again, it's back to the addiction, but jumping from one thing to the, to the next as if all of a sudden we need to be on Vine making six-second videos and as if all of a sudden, you know, we need to be on Instagram. Some people do, right? There, There is a content is king sort of play here in this world. I, I'm not going to disagree with that. But if you're running around kind of hoping that one of these things is going to offer the salvation that you need to grow your company – then you're just you're you're fooling yourself. One of my favorite examples is one of my first clients I ever worked with when I went out, out on my own. You know, they said, "Well, we need more business," and and they said, "What are you, what are you going to do? How are you going to help us?" And I said, "Well, what are you doing to increase your business?" And they said, "Well, we're running uh, ads in the newspaper. We've got ads on the radio. Uh, we're running Google AdWords. Um, you know, we're doing this. We're doing that." And I looked around and I said, "Okay, your business is full of people right now. How often are you communicating with all of these customers?" And they looked at me with this blank stare. They, you know, like, what was I talking about? And I said, how often are you reaching out to the people that have already given you money? And again, this blank stare. And I said, okay, forget all that other stuff you're doing. Do this. And so I've started working with, this was a very small business, you know, maybe $3 million in revenue. And I started working with them about six years ago. And I'm still paid by them on a monthly basis. And no longer do they do any traditional advertising of any uh, sort. They just focus on building that relationship with every person that comes through the door. So they make an opportunity to learn about them, to get their name, to get their email, uh, to build that relationship by constantly marketing to them, reaching out to them, uh, getting in touch with them. All that stuff really plays a factor here. That reminds me, once uh, years ago, I spoke to a group of HVAC contractors, small businesses pretty much, and I was trying to communicate that one point to them actually. And what I did was I went with a video camera and interviewed some of their customers, or I interviewed other people that I knew. I just said, you know, do you own a home? Do you, do you have an HVAC system? Do you have a company uh, that takes care of it? And a number of people said, a surprisingly large number said, oh yeah, we just spent five, $10,000 on a new system. Who installed it? Uh, God, I can't remember their name. <laughs> Right, right. It's, it's, Just send them a postcard a couple times a year and say, "Hey, how's it going?" It's a it's a great example, right? But but that's that's kind of my my comment again is loyalty and building that is really a function of marketing after the sale, mm-hmm. and it's making sure that you're consistently doing that and you're consistently building that relationship. And too many of us, you know, we we drop the ball, we get them in, and we think we've closed the sale, right? Mm-hmm. The sale is closed, and so that is the end of the work that needs to be done. But that's that's not it at all. That's just the start. That's the start of the relationship. And if you squander that away, you've just wasted such a great opportunity. And you've probably wasted all of those dollars that you spent to get them. Because now all of a sudden, you're relying on your product or your service or the thing you give them to be enough. And most of the time, it's not enough, right? You know, because we can get uh, we can get any plumber to come and fix our toilet, and we can get anybody to come and fix our HVAC system. But it's the other guy. The guy that goes beyond is the guy that we're going to tell our other friends about. It's the guy that we're going to call back when we have another problem. It's the guy that's kept in contact with us. And so, so many, uh, so many marketers are just missing the boat here. You talk about how you don't believe in the term closing a sale. What's the term that you prefer to use? Well, I, I mean, again, I just kind of mentioned that it's, it's really the idea of opening the relationship, right? It's really the start of, of a, an evergreen business relationship. Somebody has said, 
I trust you enough to give you my money. And in exchange, you will give me the things that you've promised me. That's the transaction that we've kind of learned uh, that works in business, right? There's a monetary exchange of dollars for some sort of value. And so there's some businesses and there's some people that that's all they want. That's all they want. But we have to make an effort to go beyond that because that's really the start of them saying, okay, I've given you some money. Now, you know, maybe I'm interested in an ongoing relationship. Now, maybe I will be willing to refer you to others. Now, maybe I will come back to you when I need this product or service again. But if you don't market to them, if you don't communicate with them, if you don't build that relationship, it's just not going to happen organically. It never does. So in the remaining time, let's talk about the cornerstone of the book, which is the three C's of an evergreen organization. And I should add that the first half of the book explains a lot of the theory. The second half goes into great detail, very specifically, how to do certain things and how not to do certain things. <laughs> Can you take us through the, the three C's and explain what you mean? Uh, and I should also add that you mentioned that this is uh, a successor to the four P's of marketing. Yeah, I think so. And I, I was talking about this with somebody else the other day, but every author seems to have some sort of alphabet soup collection of acronyms. And But when I actually started to look at what I was doing with my clients and the work we were doing, I started to notice that the most successful were all doing a number of these things really well. And so these became the three C's. And then when I started to research the book and look at bigger organizations, the great companies, the ones we all know about that were just out there crushing it, who I consider, you know, truly evergreen, they were doing all these same things. So the first C is character. And character is really about why you do what you do. So I, I always give credit to uh, the great Simon Sinek, who had a great book called Start With Why. And he always said that the great, the best organizations in the world start with why, even before considering the what. And so character is all about your why, but taking it to a much deeper level and making it accessible to everyone out there from the solo entrepreneur all the way up to the Fortune 500. Customers want to connect to a brand. They want to be a part of a story. They want to be a part of something bigger than the product or service itself. And so in the book, I give examples of this where it's true in great big companies like Apple and then small companies like toy manufacturers or guitar manufacturers or tire manufacturers. The reality is they or can CrossFit. all or CrossFit, right? People want to attach themselves to something bigger than the what. So that's really about character. And so in the book, I give sort of different steps to really define your character, to really tell your story in a way that really resonates with people, makes them interested in you. And I really found this was crucial for the small guy, right? The, the solo entrepreneur that many times they were never going to keep a customer on the thing they gave. They were never going to be able to do it. They were never going to be able to get those revenues on an ongoing basis. But if the people were really interested in the character and associating themselves with that character and being part of that story, that's when they were able to do that. The second C is community. Now, the best companies in the world, they're all building great communities, and they're all doing it in, no, in a number of different ways. So again, I give various examples across various industries, B2B, B2C, and you know, I get asked a lot, well, what do you mean? Do you mean um, a message board or do you mean a forum? And it's not really like that. I mean, even the, the podcast we're doing right now, this is part of the community. 
right? I mean, this is going out to your community. This becomes a structure of your community and people can comment on this and you will respond. They can take part in engaging with this and I might respond and that grows the community. You look at a company like Amazon, the review system on Amazon, the reviewer network, uh, all that contributes to the community. Some of them are, you know, um, strung with hilarious stories about these ridiculous product reviews. But in the end, it really comes down to the concept of community. Uh, great examples like CrossFit, you know, the, the classic examples of Harley Davidson. Um, these are all companies that have really put the structures in place for these communities to form. And so any business, again, I give examples of this uh, across any industry, you can do this in a number of different ways. Even your B2B customers are going to want this kind of sense of community. It might be as something as simple as a, a monthly newsletter that highlights different stories about people using your products or services. You talk about a tire retailer in the Detroit, Detroit area. Yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, and they do, you know, they do very simple stuff. And, and, and I kind of took some, some liberties there. They do, you know, real kind of community outreach, right? So they do things in the community. They're part of the community. But what that does is that makes people, you know, feel that, well, this company's part of our community. Maybe, you know, maybe I should be doing business with them. They're taking a, a huge role in this. And they do put out that monthly newsletter and they talk about their customers and they, you know, tell stories about Jim, the mechanic who's changing tires and, you know, what's going on in his life. And people begin to associate themselves as being part of something more. This is not just a tire company. These are real people that we're connected with and we're interested in and they're putting out interesting content. And then the third C is content. Now content is the shorthand that I'm using for that thing you give in exchange for money. So again, we talked about that kind of classic business transaction. I give you money, you give me the product or service. I'm calling your product or service your content. And what I said earlier is that it's no longer enough to just rely on the content to bring customers back. I believe that the other C's, community and character, they really play a part in increasing the interest in the content. And if you can't build those things, if you can't really build a community or you don't really understand how to get people more interested in the character, then now you need to start thinking about your content in a much more interesting way. You need to start thinking about how do we transcend beyond just giving somebody something into giving them something that's more emotionally engaging, that they want to reconnect with, they want to come back and experience again, they want to use again, they want to try again. And I give a number of examples of this as well. There's there's companies that have taken, you know, Uber is my classic example. They took the really simple content of transporting somebody from point A to point B, and they made it a much more, I use this term, emotionally engaging experience. You pull out your phone, you, you click where you are, a car pulls around the corner, it picks you up, it, you get in, and it takes you to wherever you want to go. It's the same content that existed 100 years ago when, you know, the horse and buggy pulled up and took you down to the saloon. It's, it's no different, except it's more interesting now, and we're more engaged, and we're more kind of tied into this through our phones and through all of this. So I'm always talking about ways to improve the engagement with your content Domino's Pizza is a great example of this right now who has had wild success with their iPhone app uh, because they've made it so much easier for millennials to order a pizza. Now you pull out your phone, you draw, you know, you, you pick your dough, you pick your cheese, you pick your pepperoni, you pick your toppings, and then you click, you know, buy it now. Do I want it delivered? And 
20, 30 minutes later, the pizza shows up. So they've really changed the way that you experience the content. They've changed the experience. There's, again, I could give so many examples of this. Um, Casper Mattress is another one who many of your readers may have heard of. But Casper is a company that has taken the content of buying a mattress, which before was the probably the worst shopping experience a human could ever have. And they've changed it to say, go on our website and we'll ship you a mattress in two days. And you can try it for 100 days. And if you don't want it, send it back. You don't owe us a dime. At the very end of the book, you talk about a speech called Acres of Diamonds published in 1890 by Russell Conwell. And you mentioned that too many companies are focused on finding greener pastures when many of them are already sitting on acres of diamonds. (laughs) Great summary for the thesis of the book. Before we wrap up, let me ask you a few other marketing book questions. Are there any marketing books you've read recently that you recommend? I'm sure you've heard this in other podcasts or maybe not, but uh, Peter Thiel's Zero to One, I thought was a fabulous book. He was a co-founder of PayPal. And he talked about really being, you know, how do you be first in an industry? How do you be so innovative, so unique, you know, that you're really number one? Because a lot of people think it's not possible to be number one anymore. But Peter says, yes, it is. And I found this book, again, was just mind-blowing in the way he thought about how you become number one in your space, how you do something that is so innovative and so unique that it just, you know, blows everybody's socks off. That's interesting. I had not, I have not read that one. I'll make sure to link that up in the show notes. Are there any marketing books on your upcoming reading list? I really want to read Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. I keep hearing about this book. It keeps coming recommended to me. He was a New York Times writer, I believe. And I I haven't had a chance to read the book, but I've got it on my Kindle. And so that's really one that's on my upcoming list. And which marketing blogs do you enjoy following? Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Mixergy.com by Andrew Warner. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Entrepreneur on Fire, which is more of a show uh, geared for entrepreneurs. They do, I think they've got, you know, over a thousand podcasts now, maybe just under. Obviously, Seth Godin. And then just kind of a, a black horse here. But there's a guy I mentioned in my book, his name's Sean Veltman. And I mentioned him a couple times. He's a, he's a young guy that I work with uh, on and off. I, I don't even know how we met, but we, we talk... I can't remember how we met. That's really odd. But we we talk a couple times a week, and he's always become kind of a uh, a strategy uh, partner for me. And he writes a blog on uh, LinkedIn. I think he's maybe only done eight to nine posts now. But he has some really, really fascinating insights on things like big data and analytics. Really interesting, really well-written. And I think this is a guy that I know I'll be watching and I think others should check out too. He works with a larger analytics company right now, but he's just got some really fascinating insights. And you know, you were talking to me about the way I've written my book. He has a really unique outlook on things and tells things in a very interesting story manner. So Sean Veltman, people should check him out and let me know what you think. This is why I do a podcast. There are so many interesting things I learn, and I hope my my listeners enjoy. I'm definitely going to include him in the show notes, but explore his blog. Noah, how can listeners find out more about you and your book? Well, they can uh, they can email me Noah at noahfleming.com. They can go to my That's website. That's with one M. That's with one M, correct? They can go to noahfleming.com. They can check out my book on Amazon, which was which is evergreen. You know, just get in touch, and they can. Uh, they can reach out and they've got any questions, I'm happy to answer them for your listeners. And you've very generously offered to donate a few uh, books, which will be awarded to listeners and we'll explain 
after the interview how they can do that. Thanks for that. Happy to do that. Noah, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap. Links to everything we talked about in this episode are in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And while there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast newsletter so you can get notified every Friday of a new episode, its show notes, links, and resources. Now, who wants to win one of three autographed copies of Noah Fleming's book, Evergreen, that we just talked about? To win, just go to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a one-sentence review for this podcast. Then just send me a message at marketingbookpodcast.com and make sure to tell me which review is yours and provide your mailing address. I'd like to thank everyone who has left a review on iTunes or Stitcher. I really appreciate all the feedback and encouragement. And the more reviews the show gets, the more exposure it then gets in iTunes or Stitcher's directories so that more people like you can find it. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Till next time. I am the Canadian, so I do all the apologizing around here. (laughs) (laughs) Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save